Our minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. DeWitt Jones is one of America's top professional photographers. He's also one of the nation's most sought-after keynote speakers. A master of the platform, he combines stories from his years with National Geographic with his extraordinary photographs to teach both creativity and vision. Each year, his words and images inspire thousands to celebrate what's right with the world. Welcome, DeWitt. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be here. I've been following you for about a year now. I was first introduced to you through your awesome TED Talk, which I think is absolutely fabulous, and I suggest everyone to go listen to it. So I feel super blessed to have you with us today. So thank you so much again for being with us. You bet. How did your mission to help people focus on what's right with the world begin? Well, I had the, I don't know, I was just blessed in wrangling a job as a photographer with National Geographic. I, I, I guess it, it, it shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. I was a senior uh, in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd been a drama major. Uh, so I had applied and was accepted into Harvard Business School. My parents were ecstatic. And then uh, one night, three of us got together and just started thinking, dreaming about what we would do after graduation. We could do anything we wanted. And we came up with this crazy idea of kayaking up the coast of Japan uh, and meeting with people and showing them a little different view of Americans than they were normally used to seeing. That was ridiculous, but it was a great idea. And uh, I said, I'll make a movie out of it. I never made a movie before in my life. I got up the next morning. I withdrew my application, not my application, my acceptance to Harvard Business School and uh, applied out to UCLA Film School to learn how to make movies. After my father got over his apoplectic response to that decision, uh, I did go out to UCLA. I made uh, a movie of that. We sold it to the Geographic. I got to know the people there. And a few years later, I had started making a movie on John Muir. I was in Yosemite Valley. I met another geographic writer who was doing a story on John Muir. I called my friends at the geographic and they gave me the assignment. I'd never had a published photograph in my life. And I was doing my first story for National Geographic. The thing about shooting for the National Geographic is it has a spectacular reputation. And the reputation really is when you read the geographic, you feel proud to be part of the human race. When you read the morning paper, you feel it's toxic and you better get rid of it quickly. People would invite me into their homes and uh, they'd go out of their way to help me when I shot for them. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that the real reason for that is that the geographic celebrates what's right with the world. It gave me a very positive outlook. I didn't put it into words till later. I just loved shooting for them. But later, as I was thinking about 
what I had learned from the geographic, that was the big lesson. And when I started giving uh, motivational, inspirational speeches, I decided I would build my talks around the idea of celebrating what's right with the world because that had so influenced me over the years. So that's that's where it came from. That's pretty amazing. So when you when you went and made your video when you were going through China, you had never had any interest in videography before. Or? Well, it wasn't even video. It was days before video. It was film. Uh, video was just getting started. This is in the the mid nineteen sixties, and literally when I went over to shoot that movie, I was using a, a Bolex, a wind up Bolex. I could take twenty seconds of, of movie film, and then I had to wind it up again. And I had never, you know, made a movie of that caliber before. Uh, that size, I was absolutely winging it, as I was two years later when I got my first still assignment for them. I don't know why they had faith in me, but they did. So that's that's how we started putting it together. Wow. That's like sort of a divine intervention because it seems like it just happened for you. It did. You know, it was not something I I, I had dreamed of for years. I, I hadn't. Um, but when we started to plan the Japanese kayak trip, I, I, we, you know, we thought, well, let's shoot the moon. Let's go to the geographic. And again, when I was in Yosemite and I saw this guy who was a writer doing a story on John Muir, I was doing a movie on John Muir. I said, I'm, I'm the guy to shoot the stills. And I called the head of the geographic photo department and he said, okay, you're going to have the assignment. That was crazy. I mean, I knew it was crazy at the time. Then the question was, could I come through with it? And apparently I did in both cases because the film and the article were very successful and, and set me up on a 20-year a career shooting shooting stills for the Geographic. Did you start taking any pictures when you were younger or have any fascination uh, with photography when you I, were younger? A little bit. My my father and I built a dark room in my basement, but it wasn't wasn't my biggest passion by a long shot, but I had always been visual and I, I was a drama major in college and mostly directing and I was making pictures by moving people around the stage. You know, I was learning composition in that regard, but I wasn't, I wasn't a big photographer and the photography I did do, people say, God, you're really good at this to it. And I'd go, really? I, I just, that's how I shoot. So I obviously had some native talent for it but it wasn't something that I'd studied. Now, I was very lucky in, I went back to the geographic terrified that I was going to now shoot an article for them. And the head of the geographic photography unit brought me into his office and I, I, I was overwhelmed wondering whether I could ever prove myself in that situation. And he looked at me, very, very gruff man, heart of gold, but a very gruff man. And he said, if you work for the geographic and I just hired you, you're very good. You don't have to prove yourself. And I, I just about fell out of my chair. I don't have to prove myself. And then he leaned over the desk and looked right at my face. And he said, but by God, every day you had better improve yourself. Oh, and nice. basically what he was telling me is, look, Nobody has your eyes to it. There's no reason to compete with anybody else because at your best, you can't do what they do and they can't do what you do. That's why I hired you. The rest of it is just technique. So every day you get better and better at what you do. 
that not only gave me the freedom to stop thinking about competing with all the other fabulous photojournalists that work for them, it also allowed me to relax and go after my own creativity and just do the job and get better every day. Wow, that's pretty cool. I love that, that he's saying, you know, you don't have to compete with others, but you have to improve yourself every day. Yeah, and if more people learn that, I mean, if if you just set out instead of to do your own personal best every day, it's a lot easier than spending a lot of time worrying about if the other person is ahead or behind you. Doesn't matter, you know, you still need to do your personal best every day. So that's what that's what I was raised in, which which seemed like an offshoot of celebrate what's right with the world. You know, it wasn't about beating somebody else down or thinking you're better. It was just about getting better. That brings me to the question of, do you think that anything in your childhood fostered this positive outlook on life that you have sort of, that um, National Geographic instilled in you and that you've carried on? I would say my mother, who was a very positive woman and didn't have a particularly easy life in terms of getting to do the things she wanted to do. You know, she was a housewife in the 50s and women had their place and they were supposed to do their thing and uh, stay home and do the wash and take care of the kids. And she really didn't want to do that, but that's what fell to her lot. But she stayed very positive. She was the one who would always tell me that I could do anything I wanted. My father was much more grounded in, you know, will it make money? And and (laughs) he supported me, but, but kicking and screaming, you know, he was, he was a little afraid when I would go take these wild hitters. But I, my mother had a very positive outlook. I was very loving and chose love over fear whenever she had the chance. So I think there was a base of that and they supported me in what I did, but not specifically more of sort of the background noise that I was raised in, which was a pretty positive upbringing. When did you know you had made celebrating what's right with the world an absolute habit? Boy, that, you know, I, I've written about that and I've tried to help people in, in the e-course we have and other things to, to get them, to get people to do it. But, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's more a commitment to what lens you're going to put on your life when you get up in the morning. and. It's not that hard. It just takes a certain kind of of positive discipline. And if you're not going to do that, if you get up in the morning and look at what's wrong in the world, then that's that's the lens you're going to leave on during the day. It's not going to be very pleasant, but you have a choice to not do that. Well, I had this little amulet in my pocket, which was called, hi, I work for National Geographic. Oh, you must be a really cool guy. Come on in, meet my family, la, 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 la. You know, uh, after a while, I began saying, well, God, everybody ought to do that. If they're having a bad day, they ought just, should just say, hey, I work for National Geographic, and then everybody loves everybody. <laughs> so we can't really do that. But I would find that even when I wasn't working for the Geographic, if I carried that same kind of positive attitude, life worked a lot better than if I didn't. The other part of it, which is more me as an artist, but I think everybody has access to it, is that as a photographer, I was a beauty hunter. You know, I I was a photojournalist, but 
everything I took was beautiful. You didn't take ugly pictures for the geographic. You may be telling a gripping story. Somebody may be in pain or in sadness in your picture, but the pictures were always beautiful. So visually, I'm very attuned to that. I find it really, it directs my life. I want to be around and inundated with beauty every day. And that's what I look for. And that's what I walk in. And that's what I take pictures of. And, you know, last night, I was out in the middle of a field at 10 o'clock at night, taking pictures of the Milky Way. And the pictures are fine, but I got to stand out under the Milky Way last night, and I live in Hawaii, so I was in shorts. You know, it was it was warm, and it was beautiful, and the cosmos was above me, and I can't ask for anything more than that. Spectacular. That's how I like to live, whether I'm looking at at the heavens or whether I'm looking at a dewdrop on a plant in my garden. When I connect with beauty, I am very much celebrating what's right with the world. I love that. And I love the idea of being in Hawaii in my shorts. Yeah, right. You know, people say, how did you get to live in, people say, how did you get to live in Hawaii? I say, well, the happy police haven't found me yet. There is no law against it. It took me, after I discovered where I wanted to be here, it took me about five years to, to really changed my business around and do a whole bunch of stuff so I could move here, there was no question that this is where I was coming. I love it. And something that you say that really, really touches me is you say by celebrating what's right with the world, we find the energy to fix what's wrong. Yeah. Listen, if you celebrate what's wrong with the world, there is a certain amount of energy that you gain from that if you're a helper kind of person. You know, you go, oh, my God, they're in pain or or that's not right or it's unfair. And there's a certain amount of energy you draw up to kind of fix what's wrong. But to me, that always seemed to have a limit. You know, eventually you just got bloody tired, you know, as you looked at things, if you had the lens on of seeing what's wrong. Whereas if you started by seeing what's right, that filled you with a very different kind of energy, which to me, is ultimately inexhaustible. When you really get down to, I start out the morning as I'm waking up, before I even open my eyes, of going through the the seven wonders of the world, and that's not that's not the Eiffel Tower or or the Sphinx. It's to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to feel, to laugh, to love. It's basically, I'm alive on a little piece of rock in the middle of a gigantuan universe of dead space, and I'm here and conscious. And if I let that resonate to me, and I luckily have all five senses working, everything else should just be an inconvenience if it if it's wrong that day. I've already hit it out of the park. I've already grabbed the brass ring. It fills me up with gratitude that I get another day on this planet. And and that kind of energy is way easier to work out of than, you know, the feeling that as a single flawed little human being, I'm supposed to fix everything that's wrong. That's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard for me too. And once I figured that out, 
it honestly changed my life. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in the group with you. I wake up and I'm just happy to be here. I'm so thankful. I'm, that's the first thing I think is, oh my goodness, thank you for another awesome yeah. day here. It doesn't matter whether you have a religion or a faith or anything else. When you, when you feel gratitude, and that feeling just comes up, and some people would say it's to God, and some people would say it's to science, and that makes no difference. But that feeling of gratitude, that feeling of, oh, my Lord, I'm here. Thank you. Who am I saying it to? I have no idea. But I'm saying it. I say it out loud practically every time I take a picture. I just say thank you because it's much better if you express it. That becomes another habit that you have, that you go around saying thank you. And there was a mystic who once said, if the only prayer we ever said was thank you, it would be enough. Wow. I love so I, that. I, I love try that. and do that. Thank you when you're taking, capturing pictures and capturing moments through photography. I look now because in my lecturing, my speaking, I'm still, I, I still do that. In my photography, it's all for me now. I don't do it commercially anymore. So my photography is just visual prayers. I, you know, they're just saying thank you that I got to see whatever it is I'm looking through the lens at. The more I looked at that, the more I realized that what was the, if I called the visual prayers, what was the prayer? And the prayer, as close as I could articulate it, was just namaste, that the being in me recognizes the being in whatever I'm looking at. And there's that moment of connection. And whether that's with a person or a sunset or a rock or a rabbit, it doesn't matter. Those are the moments that I live for, you know, where I really not only feel alive and and full of gratitude, but connected to the rest of what's going on. Mm, I love it. I love it. So in a sense, it's almost like photography is almost a meditation for you. Very much so. It's, It's a spiritual practice. You know, there are occasionally times when I take on a kind of photograph you know, to learn a new technique and, and I'm working on it and I'm not particularly connected to what I'm shooting. I'm, I'm involved in the technology of the camera, the lights or whatever it is I'm working with. But I've been a photographer long enough so that most of the time when I'm shooting, the technology goes away. I can just handle it without doing a lot of thinking about it. And then I'm just connecting through the lens with what I'm taking a picture of. I'm also trying to get a good picture, but I'm also trying to have that experience of, of, of connection. Mm. And after all these years of, of taking pictures, it's probably just second nature to be able to set your camera up and all that stuff. Yeah. And you know, that, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, the cameras have gotten so much, they do so much more of it for you. That's that, true. you know, once you come to the realization that you can count on that, you know, that if you set your camera on P, for example, program, which I call perfect, that if you just set it on that shot, 80% of your shots are going to be great. And 15% of your shots are going to be good. And maybe 5% the camera had messed up on, but the rest of them are there. Now, I don't always set it on P. There are other... There are other modes I use on my camera because I know how to use it, but 
I'm very comfortable with letting the camera do certain things that are that just knock me out of the experience if I have to be thinking about setting f-stops and shutter speeds and focus all the time. Yeah, I mean iPhones. <laughs> I take more pictures on my iPhone than any camera I have. Oh wow! Without question, because wow. it's always with you. And secondly, there are apps and ways that you can use your iPhone. This is getting in the weeds of technology, but to shoot in RAW, uh, to shoot actually in HDR RAW, and you know you can blow your pictures up to twenty by thirty on an iPhone, and and nobody could tell the difference between that and your five thousand dollar Canon camera. Mm-hmm. This is sort of off the topic, but what is your favorite app for your iPhone to take pictures with? Well, is that it, secret? <laughs> for, no, no. For most people, I would I would say that you know just use the native camera, the camera that's in there, but learn all the things it'll do because it'll do a huge amount. And then secondly, uh, get an app called Snapseed, uh, which is owned by Google and is free. And with those two things, you can do just, that's really all you need. Well, thank you for that inside information, DeWitt. Sure. Let me ask you, is there one thing that we can all start today that will help us celebrate what is right with the world in our daily lives? Well, I'm going to go back to what I said before. When you wake up, if you just go through what I call the seven wonders of the world and you actually lie there for this, you know, this is a 30-second meditation. It's not very long. And you go, my God, I can hear. And I can taste. And I can smell. And then you open your eyes and you and I can see. And I can feel the sheets. And incredible. Just let that sink in a little bit. And then the next two, to laugh and to love, are the ones that you choose. Right? The others come along. They they just happen. But you don't have to laugh and you don't have to love. But if you don't do those two, you're going to live a pretty poor life. So if you go through the day saying, okay, I'm going to choose to laugh and I'm going to choose to love and I'm going to choose to look at things that give me joy and I'm going to choose to look at things that I find beautiful. And I'm not going to deny the pain and suffering on the planet, but I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to look at the good things and see if I can see what the relationship is between the two, what the context is. And I think most people will find on a daily basis that there is so much more to be grateful for and that's positive than than is negative. And we get so hung up on some little irritant, which we may have to deal with, but it's certainly not life-changing. It's just an inconvenience. I think that's a pretty easy thing to do, just waking up and spending that first 30 seconds um, thanking, you know, for all of the, the things that our body can do and having a moment of thanks and then also choosing to laugh and love. I think that's fabulous, fabulous advice. Well, you know, there was a Zen teacher here in Hawaii that I've taught with before and He has a whole week class called How Simple Can You Let It Be? The main things in life are not complicated. Uh, Jesus' teachings are not complicated. Buddhist teachings are not complicated. They're hard to do on a daily basis because we 
backslide from, you know, being grateful. It's not rocket science. You just have to discipline yourself to do it. That's why I put together that little e-course that's on the Celebrate site where, you know, you're giving somebody help for 21 days so that they can get in the habit of celebration. Yeah. And where do people go check your habit and celebration e-course out? It's celebratewhatsright.com. Celebratewhatsright.com. Dot com. Yeah. And they can find, they can also go onto my personal page on Facebook or the Celebrate What's Right site or the Celebrate What's Right open group. Uh, and there are hundreds, literally thousands of people who post on the open group pictures that they take every day and not just posting the pictures, but they have to write about why it's a celebration. And they do. And if you want to have a wonderful, uplifting morning, go hit that site out. So I usually ask everyone who comes on what they do every day to make their day better or have them be the best them. But with you, since I, I have a feeling part of that answer would be the morning meditation, the 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you, how do you get in the zone when heading out to a photo shoot? The thing that, again, I'm photographing now for my own pleasure. And actually what I try and do now is I want to show up in neutral. Most of the time, I want to show up without a preconception so that instead of my taking something, I let something take me. In other words, I, I, I don't decide out front where I'm going to cast my gaze. And I show up in a situation open with all of my years of technique at the ready, but allowing me to be taken by something. Minor White used to say, it's not what will I take today, it's what will I be given today. Mm. And that's what I try and see. And because I don't have to shoot a particular thing, then I can be taken by a cloud or or a leaf or a smile or a bit of light or something that that grabs me as opposed to me forcing it into my camera that's a lovely way to go through life asking what will i be given today and the more i do that the more the universe seems to give me but again if i was on assignment i couldn't present myself in the same way but i'm not so that's how I take pictures. I let I let something take me and then follow it. I love that. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to start using that. What will I be given today? Do yeah. it. Thank you so much for sharing your light with us today. It's so, so happy to have you here. And I want to leave you, my listeners, with one more quote from DeWitt to ponder. Creativity is the ability to look at the ordinary and see the extraordinary. Thank you so much for listening, my friends, and go out there and choose laughter and love. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.